I would kind of look at the muscle. Uh, we're muscle. For the people, Martin. We're not doing it for researchers. <laughs> so I, I look at the, the the muscle fibers, like a bag of of um, spaghetti. So um, if you <laughs> if you take a, one spaghetti out of that uh, spaghetti out of that uh, full bag, then you get this one single muscle fiber, and this one single muscle fiber or spaghetti is is covered and surrounded by blood capillaries and the framework podcast is hosted by researcher Katarina Mitteva and World Tour Cycling Sports Chiropractor Dr. Martin Krum. We will be merging academic and clinical knowledge on how to train smart and recover faster. With this in mind, we're trying to solve common problems athletes or health-oriented people may encounter in their journey to seeking improved health and performance. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Framework Podcast with Martin and Kat. On today's menu, we have a very important pillar of our framework, which is athleticism. And the topic of our episode is about strength or more like introduction to strength and um, why strength is the key to stay upright in the gravitational world. Uh, because Martin is the one that actually came up with this beautiful title of the episode. Um, I think it's only fair to um, actually begin with the question to Martin, what is strength? And why is the key to stay upright in the gravitational world, Martin? Tell us. Kat, thank you for the beautiful introduction and uh, giving me credit for the name. Um, well, it basically takes us back to the, to the fundamentals, which is for human locomotion and movement. It's, it's all about um, strength and cardiovascular uh, health, which we have talked previously. And today's episode, we will be focusing more on the strength part of the locomotion uh, system. So basically, it's it's all about um, how an elderly elderly person can get up from floor, being on all fours, and how to how is he he or she standing up, or how is the world's fastest sprinter getting off the blocks to reach the finish line as fast as possible, and anything else basically in between. So, listeners. Um, it's going to be a bit of a longer episode again, uh, so prepare for a, for a bit of a ride. And, and uh, yeah, so basically, Kat, um, you mentioned uh, we're going to be talking about uh, strength and, and to kind of lay a, funda- lay a foundation for, for that topic. Um, I think we really need to talk about what is the main component of strength and that that is the is the muscle part of a human body and so we will focus a lot about on the muscle itself and so Kat when I say muscle and strength what are the first few things pop up in your mind um obviously it's gonna have to be a bodybuilding gym bros (laughs) (laughs) that's a good uh, good good no it's a good point because that's actually I think a big problem that a lot of people who are not avid gym users or or training heavily that's that's what they see every time a resistance training equals bodybuilder which in essence it's it's nothing to do with that and that's totally different level of training and any or none of us or most of us needs to train this way so uh, that's actually a very good point and and we will come back to the bodybuilder example later on as this is a Probably, very yeah. highly specialized highly specialized um, athlete uh, with a very specific training regimen which is very different for training regimen for let's say a power athlete um, but we will come back to that but to first lay a foundation yeah. for strength and to the muscle uh, I would say let's start like this um, on my head I kind of see and oftentimes muscles as mainly talked about muscle as a mover so a insertion from one part of a bone to another part of the bone going across a joint and then by muscle contraction you will have a, a movement of a certain joint not always a movement sometimes it's just also a, a holding this movement but in essence it's it's often talked about muscle as a mover and and there we can also separate uh, muscles as postural muscles or explosive muscles and examples here could be um, for postural muscles, let's say, uh, slow, non-fatiguing muscles like a soleus muscles in, in a muscle in, in, in our lower leg, or explosive muscles for jumping, sprinting, like gastrocnemius. And why there is a little bit of a difference between these 
two types of muscles we will talk later on um, but yeah muscle as a mover then there is few other options or or what the muscle why muscle is super super important and more i think this is becoming uh, evident over the last 10 15 years is it muscle has a very important role also as a pump so it's pushing blood back towards your heart there is no active system bringing venous blood and also lymphatic system through the blood vessels back to your heart and for that you need muscle activation muscle action and thirdly i would say the muscle also acts as, as an amino acid reserve so it's very important for creating new red blood cells and immune cells for example and i'm sure you're more than welcome to to jump in if you have any more in-depth on knowledge on on these parts because this is your topic also much more than than mine um on the part of muscle uh, amino acid reserve as an amino acid reserve um i do actually have something to add in <laughs> um and yes i do agree that um the muscle is a primary helper in generation of uh, new red blood cells and immune cells but um we're actually those cells the the progenitor of those cells are getting stored in our uh bone marrow within our bones so obviously any sort of um uh, strength training um actually helps um um the turnover of those progenitors we also call them hematopoietic stem cells and th this will probably we'll explain it probably uh, later on but it's a really important particularly in aging um the more we age, particularly after 50 or 60 years old, uh, we are more exposed to a phenomenon called clonal hematopoiesis. Um, essentially, you, I'm going to keep it simple, but what um, that means is that you have an increased risk of not just developing um, sort of a blood malignancy, such as uh, leukemia, but you also have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And by no means... Anybody that's about 50 or 60 uh, years, don't get scared. You're not going to get um, those diseases. But th that may happen in about below 10% of the population. So um, maintaining muscle health is really, really important for uh, maintaining the pool of the, your red blood cells and um, immune cells, or as we call them, hematopoietic cells, um, as Martin said. So that's my bit. Uh, the fourth, I would say, muscle also has as, as a very important role on, on glucose regulator, uh, especially through glucose glycogen storage. And this we will also talk later on a little bit more when we, we dive into some of the research papers. So it just kind of a, draws the circle and closes the circle to say that the muscle has a very, has multiple important functions in human body. It's just not, it's not just a physique that we will see on a picture. Somebody is big and strong and powerful. Um, it has much wider uh, purpose in human body as a, as, a, as an endocrine organ. And I'm sure here you can elaborate quite a lot more. What does this actually functionally in human body means? Well, I think um, in terms of the idea of muscle as an endocrine organ, it is pretty much emerging, um, probably maybe like five, six years, 10 years of ideas. Um, and of using some words such as myokines or exerkines, which is pretty much derivative from the word cytokines. Um, and for our listeners that don't really know much about what cytokine is, cytokines are these like small molecules that get our immune system primarily uses to communicate with each other, but also with other organs. So from that word, um, it derives the idea of myokines and exerkines. But going back to um, all the important functions of muscles that you, Martin, said, um, uh, I, th I think it's becoming more and more clear that um, skeletal muscles are not just receivers of information from other organs, but they are active participants in the in the integrative crosstalk that our body uh, performs uh, every second of the day, right? So um, their roles, um, like, for example, some of the, word, the roles of myokines, um, are in terms of metabolism, which um, we mentioned that glucose uh, regulation of the muscle is a really important part. Metabolism, but also very importantly, inflammation. Um, and if you actually think about where where we have muscles, we have muscles all over the body. So uh, muscle can um, participate in active inflammatory processes um, into many different locations in the body. Um, and um, 
let and, and also communicate with the other organ systems. So it's not just about local communication, but it's also about a whole body communication. That's why we call it as an example, it's almost like an endocrine organ, such as you, muscle can communicate with our cardiovascular system, muscle can communicate with our renal system. And um, recently, um, the gut microbiome uh, as a whole has been gaining a lot of interest. So um, there's some quite interesting links between um, myokines or particularly myokine dysfunction in diseases such as uh, obesity, sarcopenia, um, and then importance of the gut microbiome. I'm only going to like do a little bit of hint about the gut microbiome because um, we shouldn't even start to talk about this <laughs> uh, because it will be probably a separate episode on its own. So that's kind of very briefly what those mean. Yeah, but actually, what you what you just said is is exactly the the topics we will have today, and and probably it's a good place to to mention the two uh, studies we are going to use today to to support our ideas and our arguments. Is is we're going to use two two studies, and and we both found them very beautiful studies and and very important studies, and and on the first. We is, is a study from US from 2017 where they looked at uh, muscle mass and strength and with all-cause mortality among US older adults. And that kind of goes along the lines what you said uh, a few minutes or a minute ago about uh, muscle having a larger impact on one's health. And we yeah. will come back to that study. And then obviously what you just mentioned about gut uh, microbiome, uh, there is a lot of emerging uh, evidence uh, uh, how a dysfunctional gut microbiome has impact on, on uh, muscle integrity and, and then further on sarcopenia. So that's going to be the second, uh, second study we, we will uh, reference quite a lot today. And this study is from Poland from 2021. And it's called Multifactorial Mechanisms of Sarcopenia and Sarcopenic Obesity, Role of Physical Exercise, Microbiota and Myokines. And I think we will focus more on the sarcopenia part of this paper because this is a very large and very exciting paper. And, and I would even say we might do a short episode, special episode on this paper alone because it is really, really good paper. I, at least I found it. I think it covers many, many topics. So if you are completely new to the subject, you could just plug in into the paper and then learn about uh, obesity, adipokines, which is, again, deriving from the word cytokines, but adipokines, for example, are the same thing as myokines. They just get secreted from the adipose tissue, which is, um, again, um, had the same fate as muscle, uh, where back in the day, even like when I was like a very young student, um, it, it still wasn't like... I don't know how many years ago now, <laughs> maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, there still wasn't <laughs> that much focus on differentiation and emphasis on the importance of these two organs, because they essentially are organs, though they're not in the same location, um, and their importance as um, secretory organs. Um, I think for many years, both muscle has been, again, as you said, Martin, has been considered as a uh, mover, and um and something that holds us upright um and helps us um uh and helps us move around but um and then adipose tissue was considered just like as a um just as a storage nothing else but recent evidence is showing the complete opposite of the day instead of just being like um helpers they are active participants in particularly in metabolic syndrome cardiovascular disease even cancer. So um, this paper, um, I kind of went away, sorry. <laughs> this paper is actually really, really good because um, it gives you a um, very, very nice overview. So I would highly recommend it to anybody to read it and we'll probably reference it in the um, text of this uh, podcast. Totally, totally agree with you. And uh, and yeah, I found it also super, super exciting. So I'm, I'm happy to come back to this uh, paper and then and, and reference it more and then and, and delay get some more valuable information out of it. But coming back to our main topic today, lovely muscle and the architecture of, of muscle. Um, we have actually three different types of uh, muscle in human body. Um, it's a smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, and then what the type of muscle we are focusing today is a skeletal muscle. And we have 
hundreds and hundreds of muscles in human body, especially skeletal muscles. And it's difficult to give exact number because depending on, on the researcher, uh, they group the muscles differently together and so on. So I'm not going to try to give a number of muscles we have, skeletal muscles we have in human body. But the main basic function in human skeletal muscles is, is most of the time, or all, not most of the time, but they are, it is always the same, is to, uh, what we just mentioned before, but to look more deeply into the muscle, it, it's basically, uh, it's kind of like a cylinder. Um, and I, in my head, it's, I know it's a super simple uh, example. And uh, anybody working closely in research labs with muscles uh, probably would laugh and, and just close that podcast episode right here, right now. But um, I would kind of look at the muscle. Uh, We're doing muscle... this for the people, Martin. We're not doing it for the researchers. <laughs> so I, I look at the, the the muscle fibers like a bag of of um, spaghetti. So um, if you <laughs> if you take a, one spaghetti out of that uh, spaghetti out of that uh, full bag, then you get this one single muscle fiber, and this one single muscle fiber or spaghetti is is covered and surrounded by blood capillaries and all sorts of um, connections to a fiber, putting it back in the bag and then closing that bag and adding another bag on top of it and another bag of spaghetti on top of it, we start composing more and more mus muscle um, bundles together. And when you have a lot of muscle bundles together, you actually form a muscle uh, eventually. And... We know also from, from, from research now that uh, there is two mechanisms how the mu muscle itself actually can uh, change its structure. So one would be hyperplasia, which basically means growing new muscle fibers, uh, which on human muscles is, is actually almost impossible or very, very, very difficult unless you're using um, uh, steroids and very hardcore training over a long, long, long period of time, then we, we have seen some sort of a hyperplasia happening in human uh, human muscles. Um, I think in animal studies, it's, it's a little so bit So you're trying different. to tell me that eating more spaghetti is not getting you there? Uh, just spaghetti will not get you there. And you can even lift the other bags of spaghetti. It will also not help you entirely. You would need some... I'm disappointed. Uh, you would need some extra extra genesis uh, steroids to, uh, to help you at least have a little chance this happening. And even then it might not be enough. So it's extremely, extremely difficult uh, to take place in human human body. But I have a good news. There is a different mechanism. It's called hypertrophy. And that's way more common and way <laughs> more easily or uh, readily happening. And uh, do you actually know what is the biggest difference between human skeletal muscles and any other um, muscle uh, cells? So muscle cells and any other cells in human body. Uh, are you asking me? I'm asking you. I'm putting you on a spot. So basically, what would you would you would you notice? I actually don't know. I actually don't know. They're like human human ones are like thicker spaghetti, like bucatini or something. <laughs> no, I know my question was formed maybe a little bit uh, unintentionally and um, trickily. So uh, what I was thinking yeah. and fishing here is that in human uh, human muscle cells, they are very unique unique because they have multiple cell, uh, nuclei versus any other cell in human body has oh. as, as mostly single uh, single cells which is a, a very unique uh, formula for muscle cells to have and this is super good also a little bit of a shitty. okay that i knew this of course i knew you knew if you in would defense, have in defense in defense of myself i knew that <laughs> <laughs> of course you knew it just was my formulation of the question so that's why i didn't let you grill too long <laughs> and uh, move it forward but yeah basically multiple nuclei basically unlimited number of nuclei versus one nuclei and what it functionally means it has muscle cells have a almost unlimited potential to grow bigger uh, versus the other cells in the human body they have very limited capacity to grow bigger um, and, and so on, which is good, which means with exercise, you can upregulate your muscle cells to have hypertrophy so they grow bigger. On the downside, what happens when you lay down 
or go on the moon for a few months, like we all casually often do, or just watch six series of um, Netflix uh, seasons, uh, whatever your favorite uh, show is. Uh, basically, what, what, what happens is it's, it's inactivity then down-regulates the, the muscle cells and then we basically start losing muscle mass. So this, this, I think, what is also very important to understand when we're talking about the muscle mass and strength later on as, as part of the, the studies, um, is these, this is one of the key components, uh, is that the, the upregulation and downregulation of the nuclei and giving the opportunity to the muscle to grow bigger and stronger um, through that. I just wanted just to briefly add that um, another very interesting part of skeletal muscle, which is um, quite different, for example, than a smooth muscle um, in the vasculature, is that um, um, the, the you have uh, in, within the muscle you have another type of cells, which are kind of the ba the best way to describe it to people that are not very uh, biology interested or uh, haven't read that much about it. They're called satellite cells. I don't know if you heard sure, about this, Martin. Sure. So there are um, there are cells that actually have uh, during a muscle fiber injury they actually have the capability to um, kind of sense the metabolic cues around the muscle. Let's say you did and you like you went to a gym, you smashed the bicep curl, and that actually could causes a micro tears within some of the fibers. So there comes the satellite cells that um, they sense the metabolic cues and then. Um, they take the identity of a skeletal muscle, so they help you recover as well. Yep, beautiful. Exactly. And this is another unique thing for the skeletal muscle. Yeah, another way yep. of um, hypertrophy. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And obviously, we can uh, differentiate uh, hypertrophy as acute and chronic and... Um, and so on. But I think one of the last things I would like to talk about uh, regarding muscle and strength functionally um, is, is the, the either the color of different muscle fibers or then more functionally the contractile speeds of different muscle fibers, which then brings us to the bit more maybe to the performance sports world, but also in everyday life for, for when we're training it does make a difference uh, what type of training is more suited for, for some, some people and, and so on. So originally, the types of uh, fibers, uh, actually, we could only see that with the first microscopes. You probably know exactly the, the date and the time when the first microscopes came available. But it, it's quite it's, it's a few hundred years ago, if I'm not mistaken horribly. Yep, correct. A few hundred years ago, the very, very simple ones. Exactly. Um, and roughly yeah. at this time, I think yeah. <laughs> they, they could first start to see that some of the muscle fibers were more, more red and more some were more white. Obviously, it took quite a long time yeah. before, before they were functionally able to say what is, why is it that and, and what is the functional differences. But we do know now that the red fibers actually have more blood supply, more mitochondria, and, uh, and the, uh, hence they are more kind of geared towards aerobic metabolism, metabolism uh, so carb of carbs and, and uh, metab uh, fat metabolism. The other muscle type or muscle fiber type we have in, in our bodies is, uh, is more white and it's literally because it has less blood supply, less mitochondria, less of everything what the red ones have and they are more geared towards glycolytic activities so more type uh, 2 muscle fibers whereas the red muscle fibers are more type 1 and when I say the numbers it kind of already puts them in a functional categories we start to talk here about contractile speeds and that this is maybe the past 50 60 years only it's it's relatively new and and the, the science is still um, out there trying to figure out what is the, the actual way because I think the last 30 years, the, 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 the understanding of the fiber types is, is changed quite a, bit, quite a bit. If I remember the time I went to do my science degree in, in sports sciences, we literally talked about uh, two types and, and we, were, we, were, we were kind of a, almost certain that one cannot change the types of muscles or with the training that 
that the, the limitation is quite big. You cannot out-train your, your muscle types. And now we know that it is, to some degree, it's, it's true, but uh, there is now, we see on, on because there's just uh, the equipment is getting so much better, we know that there is there uh, these uh, hybrid cells, which basically can from length of a, of a muscle fiber. So if you take one spaghetti out of the spaghetti bag again, and you look at that muscle fiber, this muscle, one muscle fiber can have different types of these, what I just said. So it can have a slow twitch, so it can have a, um, properties of a type one, but it also can have a properties of type two hybrid in there. So it gets way more complicated. And, and we tend to think now that once with certain training aspects change, these are the hybrid um, uh, fibers that change the properties towards either then one or type, uh, type 2A or type 2X. Um, generally, and maybe not super uh, interesting for everybody, but I at least found it, uh, find it always fascinating, uh, is that we know from also from including the animal studies that there is four types of uh, muscle fibers, uh, type 1, type 2A, type 2X, and type 2B. And these type 2Bs are ultra fast. And these ones humans don't have, or at least to our knowledge, we don't have, but maybe Usain Bolt uh, back when it's high days, hey days, he might have had this, but generally human uh, don't have 2B uh, muscle fibers. And, and when I was talking about uh, the hybrids, then the hybrid muscle uh, fibers are normally changing either from type X to type A, 2A, and it can also change depending on the training from 1A to two-way and so on. So I think that the fiber type is, is, is super complex and it's very, very uh, dependent on the training. Uh, but the key message from me, what I understand from the research over the last 10 years is that we know quite a bit, but we're still not quite sure what way and how certain things uh, and how the training stimulus are changing uh, the, the types uh, exactly. But I think that's quite a lot already on the on the muscle and and, and the architecture of the muscle. Anyway, you have anything to to add on 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 this, or how do you feel we we covering this uh, this topic? I think like this is going to you actually going to have to source this as a lecture. So you're gonna to have to give. Uh, you have to start actually taking money from people <laughs> to be able to give them this lecture because this was really, really good. I think um, I hope some of our listeners agree that to anybody that doesn't know anything about um, muscle biology, I think you've given a very, very good overview, um, which I think is probably going to be very helpful to um, just the general population people or even somebody that's like not um, a huge fan of biology, but would like to uh, begin their coaching career. So thank you very much, Martin, for that. I think the, the part that I wanted to pick it up from is that um, probably is going to be maybe uh, just maybe a little rant about research um, and um, research communication and how research has sometimes been interpreted, interpreted by the public. Um, so these muscle types, um, I fully agree with you that years ago, this was just, that's it, it's fixed, um, nothing can change. Um, so the research now is moving away from that. Um, and the reason for that, as you said, is using methods of researching. And this ties in nicely with um, our first episode one, that um, all of the research is limited by its methodology. So as you can imagine, 20, 30 years ago, when some of these like initial investigations have started, um, they didn't have, uh, probably even longer, they didn't have the methodology that we have now. So um, even some of the conclusions that may have been made early on, they may be completely invalidated uh, these days. Um, I'm not saying that we should not have trust into old research. I'm just saying that um, the way that the methods are evolving um, there is, um, I'm pretty sure that sports science is still evolving field and, um, there will be more and more protocols, more enhanced protocols coming up, um, that will help us guide practice, uh, for professional athletes, but also how we can have a aging 
sedentary population, um, what are the fastest uh, and the most efficient ways that we can get them back to optimum muscle health, um, which probably something we're going to touch up upon um, a little bit later. Um, so yeah, this, this is where I'm at, that um, probably the way that I think the biggest limitation is, um, is that we cannot visualize these things in humans, not at least not very well, um, because the way that we image humans at the moment is uh, is a slow field, creating specific tracers to help us image the human body. Again, recruitment for that kind of study is difficult. Um, I've never had a muscle biopsy. Um, I don't know, Martin, if you've ever... No, I haven't, but my, my relocation of the information I've, I've heard, uh, it's, it's not something you want to do it freely and that's an actually a very good point uh, um, why we don't see many muscle biopsy studies on a higher level athletes it's just nobody yep. will be willing you to give their 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 muscles especially during high peak seasons so we do have some re- uh, studies on, on muscle biopsies but on a high level studies very very limited yeah i mean that's i think that's absolutely fair because the way that we take biopsies is actually quite invasive. Um, and if you're an elite athlete, why would you risk um, the, why, why would you injure your muscle on purpose? No, totally. <laughs> so, I mean, so uh, again, this is, this is the limitation is that we just can't study humans properly. And um, obviously you don't like my studies, but <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes studying um, exercise in rodents uh, is quite challenging. And as you said, um, uh, animals also have different fibrous compositions and um, though there may be an overlap of some the genome in some, for example, skeletal muscle or things like that, there's no guarantee that um, animals are subject to the same epigenetic changes that um, we will experience during, um, uh, during exercise. Um, and by epigenetic mean, I mean like it, it doesn't mean doesn't mean that animals adapt the same way to exercise the way that we do because we generally have a bit more complex system. Yeah, totally, so, totally, and I'm that's stop, that's <laughs> and that's exactly like what we were we're gonna talk uh, soon about uh, with the, with the second study. But now, adding a little bit of merit to to, to the to the chat we've been having here now, um, the first study we want to really look into in, in depth a bit more is is the muscle mass and strength and uh, all cause mortality. Uh, Kat, can could you please uh, describe the study a little bit and why we think the study is actually quite useful and, and could be something uh, of very valuable? So the study is, um, as you said, the association of muscle mass and strength with all cause mortality among U.S. older adults. Um, I quite like this study um, in particular because um, it involved uh, a relatively large sample number, um, just below 5,000 people. Um, And considering all of the um, data that they've collected from those people, I thought that was actually quite fair. Um, They've measured uh, muscle strength, obviously, as per the title, uh, muscle mass, uh, evidence of metabolic syndrome, um, and evidence of metabolic syndrome includes um, things like if somebody actually have an official diagnosis, um, their levels of triglycerides, which are fat in the blood, uh, put very, very simply, um, high density uh, lipid cholesterol, particularly um, lack of it, <laughs> um, and blood pressure and fasting blood glucose, which are some of those key parts of what we call metabolic syndrome, um, though I'm going to insert a mini rant calling it metabolic syndrome. I think it's actually very simple, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, the study also involved a very in-depth interviews um, of what is the what is the actual baseline um, activity, physical activity of those individuals. Are they engaged primarily in a sedentary behavior? If they have something called, and research is a very popular way to call it um, leisure time physical activity. And leisure time physical activity could be something like, how many walks do you go on? Do you go to the park and, I don't know, play tennis or badminton with your family or something like that? So, I mean, like, it's a very, very kind of like light physical activities. Um, They measured that. Um, They've also checked if those individuals are below the recommendation 
of um, <laughs> Martin's going to hate this met uh, hours per week. Um, if you are wondering why am I saying this, go go to episode two where we break down uh, why Martin has beef with uh, met hours per week um, and why he's actually right to have beef with it. So please go to that episode to refer to this. To give you credit um, here, to, to they... give credit to the met hours <laughs> again. I said it also in the episode two. I can understand why the study purposes this can and and kind of makes sense yeah. to do so <laughs> totally valid i can understand that but yes so please continue <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so they've done like a very very um quite an extensive um look at um they've also looked at all the comorbidities because they've uh, the patient cohort is 50 years uh, or above um, so they've looked at some pretty cool stuff uh, and cool, kind of mean it ironic, such as cardiovascular disease, presence of diabetes or metabolic syndrome, cancer or some other malignancies um, and um, some other important conditions which are supposed related very um, uh, are related to uh, the way that um, the muscle um, system is, such as uh, chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disorder and chronic kidney disease. So a very, very large uh, data set um, that would I actually think very interesting results because when you read the title, um, this is not what I expected. Um, I suppose I've always had, um, and this may go back to the way that we think about health and muscle health is we think that the larger the muscle mass, the more healthy you are. But um, mm. the outcome of the study was actually quite different. And the study concluded that it is the lack of muscle strength that's correlated with higher mortality rather than the muscle mass, which I find very interesting statement, um, which I, I don't know what you thought about this, Martin. Yeah, and, and to actually had, add a little functional note on that, the muscle mass and muscle strength, they are not the same thing. So you can yes. be... Do you want to... Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So it's basically a bodybuilder versus a strongman or, or a powerlifter example here. So a muscle mass is, yeah. is clearly a volume of a muscle and it has a very different, you can be a very big as, as a bodybuilder would be muscly, very, very big, but the contractile unit or the strength of this muscle might not be a relative or even not close to a powerlifter or, or a strongman's uh, strength capacities. And, and that's to do, to do with, with the hypertrophy methods. There is two types of uh, hypertrophy. And, and on, the, on the bodybuilding side, we would talk more about the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, where there is more fluid within the, in the um, uh, muscle tissue. And hence the muscle is getting bigger, but it's not necessarily getting stronger per se, or versus there is a contractile hypertrophy. And that's kind of a more of a strength side of a changes where the strength, the unit, the muscle unit is getting actually stronger because it's building the, the inner actin myosin connections and the, the it's enlargement is happening with happening in, inside the muscle. And also there is, a increase on a neuromuscular level, uh, which then is, is a different part of this topic, but I, I will not go deep into there, but I, that kind of summarizes well why the muscle mass and the muscle strength are not synonymous, and we could and we should look at them differently. If we're looking at it on a practical side more, uh, training-wise, when a novice or somebody who's never done has done hasn't done much in the gym or resistance training, for example, at all, at the beginning they are both the same. Both will happen. The muscle mass will grow and the strength will increase. Uh, but the the more in, uh, advanced and better you get at training, the stronger you uh, advanced basically you get. The more differentiation there is going to be. And that's why the strongman and the powerlifters train very differently versus uh, versus uh, bodybuilders. So, long uh, long story short, there's a big uh, difference, and I'm glad this study is, is pointing out the very important fact that the strength is the key, uh, and also hence the title of the of the topic uh, is in this gravitational world. You need this muscle strength to be able to come up from all fours, stand up from the uh, from the chair. 
um, or push yourself uh, away from the blocks of, of, a, of a sprint uh, sprint run. I fully, fully agree with you because um, I think sometimes, um, maybe <laughs> from a psychological point of view, <laughs> the way we humans are, um, we are always concerned about either now or like the immediate future. Um, maybe particularly about aesthetics such as muscle size um, and how we look and things like that. But um, I, I always wonder if people actually think about well am I going to age well and what can I do now to make sure that I will age well because this study what it points to me is that we should be probably less focused on how we look though that's absolutely fine if that's your goal but probably more focused on um, developing those um, strength uh, and movement qualities that are not necessarily needed for um, us to be able to get up from the floor, but also, I don't know, to carry the groceries, to go like a couple of flights of stairs, um, to run for the bus, uh, you know, these kind of things. So totally. I think these are, totally. the, the topic is quite nuanced. And um, uh, another thing that this paper um, becomes very clear to me is that there should be more context to our, like context to our goals um, and bringing it back again with uh, my maybe failure as a joke. That the first thing I think about <laughs> strength and muscle is like bodybuilders. But um, if if anybody gets anything out of this uh, podcast, apart from a really nice introduction to muscle biology by Martin, is that it's not just the size of the muscle, but the function of the muscle and how well it functions. So um i hope you will get away yeah totally get, and get this and from it. super 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 important point here would be you want to start better yesterday whatever that means to you is is we know that the studies now the last five years there's quite a quite a few very nice studies to do to, to, to say that is that when you are in your 50s it's super hard to catch up what you didn't do your 40s or, or 30s um but oh yeah but um, I found a study, like I think it's like 2021 or something like this, where they they actually the in the, already in 50s plus I think the, the the average age of the study population was about 50 plus. They did manage to increase the the strength uh, quite a bit, and they, they they were looking actually their high load versus medium moderate load uh, exercise resistance training exercise, and they managed to do to increase the strength quite considerably up, up to 45% uh, per, per, uh, for, this, for this population. So it, it shows that, yes, better start yesterday, build up your strength, build up your cardiovascular health, and, and work with those patterns, work with the basic pattern, patterns, squats, lunge, pushes, pulleys, pulls, um, and then for the cardiovascular, uh, either running, swimming, uh, cycling, they are all Obviously, running is a bit more load orientated, but but swimming or or cycling would be very little or limited load orientated. They they really keep the minimum system and then ticking over and 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 um, it just adds so much to the later on 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 the life and then you can enjoy the the fifties and sixties and seventies so much more. And as evidenced by this study, you will be actually prolonging your life. Not necessarily from in terms of years of lifespan, but also um, how healthy you're going to be when you age. Um, and I think this is probably going to be a recurrent topic in our podcast, but um, exercise itself, particularly resistance training, is synolytic. And um, what do I mean by that is synolytic... Uh, kind of refers to a term called senescence. Um, um, I don't know um, how much you've read about senescence, Martin, but this is something that actually occurs during aging in all of our tissues, but it's a particularly problematic in skeletal muscle. So um, this is where I think the links to the study are quite um, interesting because though even if you have a muscle mass per se, doesn't mean that that muscle mass is active, not just strength-wise, but with some of the other really nice functions that we said about muscle. It could mean that you may have some muscle, but the more um, senescent this muscle is becoming, the more, one, you, can lose, you, you may lose of it, but not necessarily, but the more um, senescent it is, the less functional it's going to be. So 
there's going to be less function, such as strength and contraction and things like that. But there will also be less function in terms of um, those beautiful functions uh, of metabolism. And it's actually going to get more inflammatory. So um, I think it's a very, very important part of the puzzle and of the framework that we're trying to build here. That um, So we need um, those things that Martin mentioned as strength capabilities but uh, also cardiovascular function in order to support healthy aging and prevent um, these processes um, to happen in our body and particularly in our muscles that we know that um, if we let our muscle um, like high levels of inactivity um, and in some obesity cases we know that this could lead to sarcopenia which we mentioned a little bit earlier but um Sarcopenia basically is a disease of the muscle um, and it's, um, I suppose the best way to describe it probably is uh, degenerative pathology of muscle. I don't know how you would describe it, Martin. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the exact description off the top of my head, but um, something that I was speaking about is the cellular senescence is a big part of sarcopenia. Um, and the only way to prevent that um, is probably strength capabilities and strength-based exercises in addition to um, a little bit of aerobic exercise. I don't know what you think about this, Martin. Yeah, I mean, again, well said, and there is literally nothing else you can do to prevent or prolong uh, sarcopenia. So you very elegantly now shifted gears to, to the more newer and more controversial topic what we want to discuss for the for the next uh, minutes uh, to the for the end of the of this podcast episode is is literally the sarcopenia which i personally think we we're talking way too little versus uh, osteoporosis or osteopenia which over the last maybe 20 mm. 20 years or so yeah. has had way more attraction and it somehow is 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 more important whereas we know how important muscle itself actually for functional is. I'm not going to say that bone is more or, or less valuable. I would say probably they are the same equal line, but somehow we, we, we talk much less about uh, the sarcopenia as, as we have been talking about osteopenia, osteopenia osteoporosis uh, changes in, in the bony, bony structures. I think a, a big part of this um, is how do you study sarcopenia and um very sadly sometimes research interest is governed by what can you do about it right so um there's probably going to be therapies in the future that um as i said as use the word synolytic such as targeting the senescence cellular senescence part of sarcopenia which is a big driver of sarcopenia um so until you discover um pathways that you could target in order to aid people um, get their muscle out of that senescent um, status, then you're probably not going to get an enormous amount of uh, of therapies that are looking at different exercise protocols on ameliorating, or at least you're not going to get too much funding about it because I suppose there's not um, that much incentive to it. And I know that this is probably a little bit of a cynical point of view, but in reality, that's how research interest is gathered. Um, I, I think the sarcopenia is one of those things that at least in my point of view um is something that is preventable it's something totally. that you could do now you just totally. need you just need to exercise and um if if people have gotten something from our um podcast is that you don't need to look like a bodybuilder and you probably don't need to look like a strong man <laughs> in order to avoid sarcopenia you just need no. to engage in some of those very basic um, little bits that Martin mentioned and these gold nuggets that you've given us in this podcast. Um, so that's that's kind of my opinion on it. Um, and maybe in future, as uh, we get better, there may be some uh, clinical therapies that we can take to help really, really frail people, people that have reduced mobility and very low strength to just, just to get them the initial push, right? Because most of the time, I don't think those people... Um, the people that care for them and maybe they don't know how to help them uh, efficiently or maybe there's not sufficient training in that topic just yet uh, but I think um, I'm hoping that perhaps maybe in the next 10-15 years because it literally takes that long to get a drug out <laughs> um, there will be yeah, things that you know, you, you know that I'm going to disagree with you here out. regarding the 
the, I know, the I know. Please uh, have a go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should not develop a pill for that. The, the, uh, the answer is there. The <laughs> solutions are simple. Uh, it's just a chewing part that is missing. Either it's on the governmental basis or it's a personal basis. It's it, it's it's there, um, and we as this with this uh, podcast, we are trying to do a small part of that uh, to give back to the uh, the community and 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 people. Uh, it's, it's, it's literally there are certain things. It's not much. There are certain things what one can and should be doing, and it's it's sarcopenic uh, changes are definitely avoidable or even reversible. So uh, yeah, and the other aspect i think what i would really like to hear your opinion on is the the gut possible um connection to 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 sarcopenia and and changes in the, in the muscle structure and, and what do you, what's your opinion on 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 that uh so how the gut microbiome relates to it um is this going to be, <laughs> is this, is my answer to this question going to be another episode? We shall find out. <laughs> we shall find so, out, but um, you, I'll give you uh, two minutes. <laughs> you give me only two minutes. Oh, Martin, ever the timekeeper. Um, so I think um, a very simple answer would be that um, the, the skeletal muscle itself through myokines and exokines is a very important participator in, um, in, in general health. But also there is a communication between um, our gut microbiome, which releases an enormous amount of, um, I, don't, I don't know how to call them. I don't think they've come up with a name of the molecules that get released by the um by our gut microbiome, but I'm just going to use the word factors or even cytokines that our gut microbiome releases that they true because our gut is so well vascularized and is so rich in immune cells that um, basically the gut can communicate to the rest of the body relatively quickly. Um, and in, in muscle, um, um, our gut can communicate with the muscle and either make it pro-inflammatory or make it anti-inflammatory. And I think the inflammatory process in the muscle um, are actually going to govern a lot of the function of the muscle. Um, and um, also another part of whether a healthy gut comes in is how like protein probably metabolism in terms yeah, of yeah. how well can we synthesize protein and how well, and what happens when the protein breaks down or is there a signal for more protein breakdown i think the relationship is really really complicated i think we definitely need like a separate episode about it because the gut microbiome recently there's been another fascinating study in a top journal that um i've actually described the relationship between the gut in the brain which is a very well known relationship or at least is gaining some traction but how does that relate to motivation to exercise because today we've, we've spoken about muscle we've spoken a little bit a little bit about the nervous system but we actually haven't spoken about um kind of the cognitive impact on exercise and um uh, i think it's very um at least in the health fitness industry it's very easy to say oh you don't have any motivation to exercise you're lazy or whatever but um just like i'm gonna piss off some people probably <laughs> for saying this but just like the way that it is with obesity there are things that we can't control believe it or not <laughs> um there are certain things that we can't control and maybe um another thing that we can't control particularly it might be um a, a relationship between the gut and the brain uh axis that um impacts our our motivation to exercise not just like on these like biological layers such as like inflammation and protein uh, metabolism or um lipids or insulin and things like that not just that but just purely like what are those molecules signaling to our brain that motivates us to get up from the couch and start squatting? So, I mean, so I think it's a very, very complex relationship. So, yeah, am I, am I out of time? No, you're doing good. And then you're probably elegantly yeah. showing us towards the <laughs> uh, uh, vagus nerve and the activity of the vagus nerve. And, and this probably would then take yeah. us towards breathing and then the, the breathing mechanisms and then hyperventilation and everything <laughs> like this. So I can see where this is going. Uh, I'm not going to open that door for you and then allow you going there. 
and yeah. we will stay on on, on the gut and, <laughs> on the gut and in the muscle uh, strength part and um, yeah i think you mentioned it also um, the other key factor could potentially be the insulin resistance and and this possibly having a cause and and uh, relations to relationship to sarcopenia super important so I think um, there's no need for us to spend too much time on this, but um, a big part of strength or, and therefore resistance training um, should be an integrative part of any sort of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cardiovascular um, type of like, if, if, if diseases, it should be complete part of like the treatment plan. And simply because... Um, I'm not sure. I can't. I can't even remember anymore. Like if if in our cardiovascular episode, episode two, everyone. Um, I'm not sure how much I went on to uh, discussing the importance of um, uh, hyperglycemia, such as increased blood glucose um, on our cardiovascular cardiovascular health. But it's really important, um, and that's obviously uh, why it's important in diabetes. But um, our muscle has that um, enormous abilities to actually help us become more uh, insulin sensitive by the muscle becoming more insulin sensitive itself. And um, therefore, if it's more sensitive to insulin, we're going to utilize a lot more of that blood glucose that's circulating. Therefore, we're going to decrease the deleterious effects that that blood glucose has um, through the rest of the body, such as the the micro and macro cardiovascular complications. So uh, we have everything to gain from engaging in resistance um, uh, resistance exercise and strength. Um, so to summarize it, it's probably in- inflammation, as we said, um, glucose uptake. Um, what else? What else am I missing? Well, I think on probably the ballpark. Fatty acid guess... metabolism as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. But as I think on a ballpark, uh, we've nailed it because as I said, as you said at the beginning, this study, what we are referencing here is, is, is a very large study. And, and to, to read it, I think it's like 21 or 22 pages, just like literally a proper, proper, proper uh, uh, text. So I think we, in, the, in regarding the, the sarcopenia and, and possible cut, uh, connections, uh, this is something to, to start thinking about. And, uh, how and why the nutrition could be super important there. Um, this is probably going to be one of the episodes we're going to talk uh, soon anyway. So we'll leave that more an in-depth view on, on that and we can then reference back to, to, the, to the strength episode what we, are, what we are talking about here today. But just to, to finish off a little bit on a practical note, uh, I would say also regarding strength training and training generally, um, it is important to have both sides of of the of the apple basically to to do the cardio work and to do the strength work and the good thing about the the resistance training or the car, uh, strength work is that as the the knowledge has evolved over the years we really know now that to get the initial gains one doesn't need to do a lot of uh, high load intensity training meaning you don't have to load up the bar with heavy weights and and start doing um, heavy resistance training, you get a very nice and almost similar response, neurological and and also biochemical response uh, by using uh, low weights, but increasing the repetitions. Having said that, the key here on both cases is that we need to get at times this muscle close to the fatigue, to the max in terms of of his contractible uh, um, capabilities so you kind of need to push it a little bit but it's much safer with lower weights so for example when i'm working with some of my back rehabilitation patients here who they might never have done any training in their lives before they over the years developed lower back pain we 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 are going to be nowhere near weights the main things we're going to do is just getting into habits of using certain simple uh, patterns. And then it's going to be some body weight and then increasing repetitions. That's all their system requires to get the initial um, uh, stimulus going. And from there, it's maybe years before we really can start loading the system because we have developed a proper pattern. We have developed a basic 
uh, understanding of of uh, of um, the, uh, the muscles, how, how they actually use the muscles, because some of the people, and it's not being negative at all, they don't know how to use the muscles. Like they just walk or they just stand up, but they have no feeling of when the muscle does what it does. So for this person, it's impossible to to do something yeah. with weights. Or I mean, it's it's possible, but they will get injured so fast that, that the whole effect of resistance training becomes diminished in, in within days or, or weeks uh, latest. So if we can keep it super simple. We can get a very good initial response using very little uh, weights. Um, we can also use uh, PFRs or blood flow restriction training. And I know we will have a discussion with you on, on, on that <laughs> and on your opinion on Definitely. how this will have a possible <laughs> effect on the blood vessels and so on. But again, considering the person general health uh, considering other information you get from the patient or from the client there is ways we can start building the the, the the resistance training start building some strength and basic strength and then with time it also gets way more fun and the other thing what you mentioned also before is 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 the cognitive part the person needs to get comfortable the person needs to yeah. get confident doing these things and once they can do these things here, they get also confident doing more and have more fun outside uh, playing with the kids or, or going for longer walks and so on. Because as I mentioned before, at 80s or when one is at, at 50s, the decrease of muscle mass or muscle, sorry, muscle strength is about 10, 15% per, uh, per, per decade or per 10 years you're using. So you're going to use lose a lot of strength doing nothing when you go from your 50th level, uh, year to your 60th. So you can imagine how much this is going to have impact on, 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 on your capabilities of, of doing things and having fun. That's the main thing at the end of the day. So that's on a practical side. And how to do certain things, then we're going to have maybe a, a bit more uh, in-detail episode on that. But I think for the basic understanding of human uh, strength and then why strength is so important for all-cause mortality, as we saw from a study from U.S., or how potentially what we eat through nutrition or, or other lifestyle factors, how gut, uh, a gut uh, health is important for your muscle health, uh, uh, we discuss these factors, and I think this is a kind of a very good way to start thinking about these things and and uh, see where this uh, takes us. Thanks, Martin. That was really really great um, summary of the practical um, and the applied science point of view. Um, something that I want to add on this note is that um, I hope that we have removed at least uh, one or two barriers uh, to resistance training and strength acquisition with this episode. Um, a little personal story is that um, my dad actually suffered with um, hyperthyroidism. So he lost an enormous amount of weight, but not just fat, but enormous amount of muscle. So um, it was really, really difficult to get him back on his feet. Like he could, he struggled just to get on the stairs. And I started to get like fears of obviously, like I knew that once uh, his thyroids um, get back on track, um, he will stop like this uh, rapid muscle loss. But I got really concerned of like, well, why if he doesn't do any exercise and he actually begins this de degenerative process of sarcopenia. So I honestly gave him a few simple things and it's incredible. He's six years old. So you can imagine how traumatic can be at six years old to yeah, lose yeah. an enormous amount of muscles. Um, so I started him literally with the basics, just squat, a little bit of pull, a little bit of push just to like get him excited some biceps curls and things like that but <laughs> incredibly for he couldn't he couldn't squat for um he couldn't he couldn't do five consecutive repetition of um box box squats is that how it's yeah. called when you like squat right. the box and then you get up <laughs> yeah he couldn't <laughs> do that and then in in about in about eight weeks we got him squatting with 10 kilograms and he got an enormous satisfaction and kind of sense of achievement and confidence um, and now I at least have the piece that um, if he falls down, he actually has the abilities to use uh, the little quad muscle that he had built in order to get up. Um, so at the, what I'm trying to say with this personal story is that the barriers should be removed and the entry point should actually be quite low. You should, you should never um, aim to be 
like those one or probably below 1% of the population that put flashy lifts on Instagram and things like that. If anything, you should be doing like the exact opposite. You should be starting very, very um, nice and slow. And especially if you have low back pain, which is um, primarily the people that uh, Martin and I see, <laughs> um, um, general population people that we see. So um, you should you should be doing starting really, really small. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to get the gains. Um, and that way you could reap all those amazing benefits uh, from strength, um, you can benefit uh, for your inflammation, for your gut, for your metabolism, for your heart. Um, so yeah, start small. Hey, Kat, thanks a lot for sharing this, uh, <laughs> this this story. It's, it's a beautiful example, and uh, and and I think it really summarizes basically everything what we've been discussing uh, up to this point uh, regarding the the strength and and why muscle strength is so important. So uh, thanks again. And I and also think it's a beautiful note to draw a conclusion to this uh, this episode. Uh, anything specific you want to add before we uh, we we wrap it up? I think it's uh, it may sound funny, but I think this podcast today was an introduction to strength. <laughs> I think we've uh, touched the surface on many different topics. So I'm really curious if any of our listeners. Um, uh, have any requests or specific questions uh, for us please feel free to send us email or messages we have linked um, our email and our instagram accounts in the description below so please send us a message if you have any particular um, request of what you would like us to talk about because if not just me and martin will just continue jamming with what we're interested in <laughs> and luckily we're interested in the broad topics um <laughs> that we can uh provide scientific and clinical uh input and opinion on it but um i'm very curious to see uh what people enjoyed in this podcast and if there's anything else that they want us to go um dive deeper excellent thank you Thank you, everybody, for listening, and until next time. Stay strong. The information on the Framework podcast, including text, graphics, images, or any audio material, is for informational purposes only, and it may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. The Framework podcast does not provide medical, professional, or licensed advice and is not a substitute for a consultation with a healthcare professional. You should seek medical advice from a qualified healthcare professional for any questions and concerns.